you're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Now recording. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone and welcome to a very, very special episode of Changing Reality. Thank you guys so much for joining it. It is a pleasure to have you guys here with us today. So for all of you who don't know, Changing Reality is a radio show that goes on on WQHS radio um, every week at 10 p.m. EST on Thursday nights. So if you're from somewhere else around the world right now due to the pandemic, then I guess calculate it in your own time soon. <laughs> but thank you all so much for joining us. It is truly an honor to have you guys here today. Changing Reality, as I mentioned, is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are changing their own reality. And we'll be hanging out and interviewing with social change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, to even artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all across the world. So Changing Reality is a space where we get to hear these inspiring stories on how they're changing the world, while also listening to some amazing music in between, since it's a radio show. <laughs> I wanted to do this show simply because I felt like there are a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of those around them. And I'm really passionate about learning how we can change the world in our own capacity. Personally, I founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance in Malaysia, which is where I, uh, which is where we collaborate with the Malaysian Ministry of Education to help provide alternative learning education platforms for any student who wants to change their reality. We work with students from elementary to high school through various sessions, programs, and experiential learning activities and projects that help them discover their passion, learn about the world around them, and even start their own careers while they're still in school that creates meaningful impact, not just for themselves, but for those around them too. To date, we've worked with over 4,000 students in 270 different communities, um, having worked with students in seven different countries actually, and developed several social enterprises which are run by students themselves. So it is definitely something that um, <laughs> I am passionate about in terms of helping people realize their own potential in creating their reality around them. If you've got any questions about that, you can drop it in the chat below. But moving on to today's episode, we'll be uncovering some of the core lessons behind success. And I say that because we have with us someone who actually was an MBA student here at Penn at the Wharton School. But today is actually a vice president and the head of corporate development at LinkedIn. He is also the co-founder of 212 Angels and Off the Grid Ventures, two angel investing companies, and has had experience in investment banking, angel investing, and even management consulting. So he's definitely someone who we can all learn a lot about in the field of business, um, startups, and in many other things as well. Uh, other than being an extremely prestigious alumni, he has given back to the Penn community in several different ways, including conducting workshops and classes here at Penn itself. So I think that today's session is going to be super fun. We will be sharing or listening to a little bit more about his journey as originally a student here at Wharton School, but eventually his um, journey as an individual in corporate life, the core values that made him and drove him to success, and hopefully we can all take away a little bit of uh, magic and a little bit of lessons that we can apply in our own lives wherever we are. So thank you guys so much once again for joining in for today's show. As you can probably um, know, basic ground rules. Um, 
this is a very uh, interactive session despite being on Discord. So you guys can ask any questions that you guys may have in the show chat below and we'll be taking them in as well. Okay, welcome back everyone to Changing Reality. Thank you guys so much for joining us for today's session. As I gave in the introduction earlier, um, we have with us a very special guest, one of our most prestigious alumni, Ben Otter, who is actually the Vice President and Head of Corporate Development at LinkedIn. Um, ben, if you can hear us, please do unmute yourself. And um, how are you feeling? Thank you for joining us on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I don't think I'm that prestigious, to be honest. <laughs> What? No! <laughs> so, in case you missed your introduction earlier, um, I was just sharing with our audience for today um, the amazing things you've done at LinkedIn, but also in the angel investing field and also in giving back to the pen community. I heard that you uh, did a few workshops here a couple of years ago to actually help enrich the, the community itself. So, thank you so much for everything that you've done to pen and um, for the people here, I'd say. And I'd just like to invite you on the show to find out a little bit more about your experiences and the things that um, made you who you are in a sense. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so I think like um, the first question that uh, like a lot of um, our audience had, so we've actually opened it up for questions from the floor as well as um, we had a Google form with questions from the audience too. But I thought I'd just start off by asking, uh, you did your MBA in management here at Wharton. Why actually did you decide to do an MBA in the first place? What, what made you start in a sense? Well, a lot of it was uh, changing career yet again. Uh, so before my MBA, I had worked in tech. I have a sort of master's in engineering. I started working in telecom, more sort of um, on the strategy and marketing side. Never actually was an engineer. And then after that, I started studying finance and was interested in it. And so uh, I think combination of wanting to come back to the U.S. and sort of explore new opportunities from a, a work standpoint was made sort of an MBA a natural choice for that. Okay, wow. Yeah, well, I think you are way overqualified for most MBA students in a sense. But um, in a sense, why did you pick Wharton and how was it like being a student here at Wharton itself? It was fun. <laughs> um, I mean, part, part of it is uh, I had the chance to waive most of the sort of core finance and accounting classes because I had already done that with the CFA and so it was a good time for me to experiment and I did a bunch of sort of classes that were more sort of interesting to me than the typical sort of finance um, uh, path that a lot of my sort of classmates were on and so yeah it felt like it was a good fit from a background, background perspective um, probably better to be a larger class in my opinion and on top of that, once I was there, I had a, a great time. I did a bunch of things with classes, but I did a bunch of things outside. Lots of parties, lots of fun and experimentation. Experimentation was great. And I heard that you were also like, you were a TA, you were on the Dean's list for multiple semesters. So you really did, I think, um, everything that Warden had to offer in a sense. But what, what would you say was your most memorable moment of doing this whole MBA as a student in a sense? Oof most memorable well uh, in general or in like specific like circumstances there's like plenty of parties that come to mind i'm not sure that's the answer you get there's like really good friends uh some of whom are still very good friends um 
and generally a good time also with my wife, like living in Philly, it was, it was a great time. Okay, cool. And I think um, one of the questions that a lot of Wharton students here have is, um, even right now, I think you're still quite involved with Wharton. I, I mentioned earlier, you taught a class in, on angel investing, and you were also, I think, uh, the founder of the Wharton Alumni Angels of Silicon Valley. So what is it about this ecosystem that keeps you engaged in a sense? Well, why come back and help out here in a way? Uh, I think it's part of my own sort of ethos in general. Um, to give back, um, and so giving back to the Warden UPenn community is is one of those avenues, uh, sort of uh, for giving back. But it's not the only thing I do uh, in from that sense. Uh, but generally, I have got a good you know, kinness with a number of people. The Warden Angels, where I'm a co-founder, like found lots of interesting folks there, and so. In many ways, you know, why not engage when you're you're bound to meet interesting people? Cool. And for you, in a sense, um, having been a student here and all, what was the biggest takeaway that, or the biggest thing that was an asset for you um, from this whole community that helped you in your career, that helped you grow as a person? Oh, grow as a person. So I think the biggest asset that I took away was is the brand, but things about growing as a person. There's so there's like a, as I, as I mentioned, I. Um, tried to experiment quite a bit, so I took a, from a growing as a person perspective, I, I took a, whatever, advanced leadership class with Fried, Stu Friedman when he was writing his books around total leadership and stuff like that, and so I called it sort of psychoanalysis for one credit, and um, it, it was a lot about writing about your future, what you want to accomplish, defining your values, aligning your values, and so I a lot of that has stuck with me. I don't necessarily, you know, I ended up not necessarily doing exactly what I wrote, but I think the this idea of um, charting a little bit your own path and sort of challenging yourself, iterating a lot, uh, has sort of stuck. Oh, all right, that's very nice. And what I what would you say are your core values now, as um, someone who has a very successful career and also as someone who, as you mentioned tries to give back to the community as much as possible. So what are the shared values that kind of like fuel both of those things? Uh, so I I think you saw it. I co-wrote a, an article on that or a blog post on that. Um, and I review those values um, daily. Uh, there's kind of, they're kind of a definition of what I'm trying to be in, a, in being a decent human. And uh, so there's five. One is around uh, love, and um, that's around friend and family and my, my family. There's one around helping people, and uh, that means helping people at work. That also means um, doing pretty much daily um, donations to a couple organizations I work closely with. Uh, there's a third one around learn and sort of keep on learning and iterating and sort of doing online classes or, you know, trying to learn things from from other folks around me, asking a lot of questions. Uh, the fourth one is around sort of uh, living, and that means a couple of things. One is one sort of living a, a fairly healthy life, but it's also um, having fun. And so that translates into a couple of things for me. I, I play quite a lot of guitar. I also play around with my e-foil these days. Um, 
which is more a question of sort of balance in life uh, as I see it. And then the last one, I don't know if it's a value, but it's more, it's a phrase which is manifest and expand, which is basically uh, this belief that if you believe that you, if you um, really think about achieving something, you will find ways to achieve it and expanding the idea of expanding is, is this idea of sort of always iterating and, and, um, and growing from your experiences, but also sort of reviewing on the daily what you can do to challenge yourself. Okay, well, how did you even come up with like such a comprehensive like ethos and that actually kind of um, covers all areas of your life? Did you read it in a book or did you just get struck by inspiration one day in a sense? <laughs> it took a while. <laughs> so it's a lot of iteration. It's also, I, uh, uh, I have a, a coach uh, who challenged me a lot in sort of defining those, uh, those values for myself. But in many ways, it, it is similar to the sort of class I was mentioning around uh, total leadership that I took at Morton many years back. And so it's, 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 it's all sort of a continuation of that reflection of what you want to achieve or, or do. Uh, there's, there's, there's so much things that are designed to not make you think in some ways or not make you be in control. And those that aren't, aren't necessarily bad, but you're stuck in a career, you're a banker or consultant working a lot and you're sort of on the treadmill or you're uh, watching Facebook <laughs> or, or whatever you're, you're doing, you, you can spend a lot of your time um, not having time to reflect and so that's something I'm trying to protect basically and not, not, not that anything is bad with Facebook it's just like you can be passive in whatever your 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 days are even if your days are extremely busy or you can try to carve out a little bit of time to try to actually have a, an influence or direct say in what you're doing on the daily okay wow and um, I think that's a really that's really good advice for us who are still trying to figure out what our ethos in life should be and how we should actually think about these things in a sense so thank you so much for that how do you think that these values help you as a professional in your career uh it helps me be clear so i review those values as part of sort of my morning routine and so it helps me early in the morning already influence my day so you know for example this idea of helping and making a, a, a daily donation that's already one thing where you're i'm leaving my values but it also influenced the way i see and think about um, developing my team for example helping my team out and helping them give them exposure help them be successful as well and so that's something that's um, the more you sort of think about this deliberately and those are the in effect the first things you do in the day the more you actually accomplish those like by noon most days i've already started a whole bunch of activities that are very much driven by my values and my review in the morning of those values okay wow and i think that there's def like having heard this from you there's definitely i think a track record to the success that you can achieve from it um you led i think the business operations team for linkedin marketing solutions to i think 40 percent growth um i think over two billion uh, two billion dollars in growth so definitely someone we should be listening to and on that topic of like becoming someone who actually um, takes care of your team, who actually practices these values um, in corporate life, I'd say, 
how did you actually um, get into the career that you are in now? Like you mentioned, you started off in kind of like the telco line and then you spent some time in investment banking. And then now you're in LinkedIn, which is like a social media. So like, is there some kind of connection between it or do you just throw a dart on a dartboard and pick your next uh, adventure in a sense? Uh, a little bit of both. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll get a dartboard then. Seems like a good choice. There you go. Uh, no, it, it's this idea of iteration. I mean, I, um, I, I think the two things that are core to my interests are sort of the mix of strategy and finance. Um, but for some reason, I came late to being in corporate development, even though LinkedIn has been telling me for over 10 years that it's my number one sort of skill as voted by other people. Um, but in some ways in banking, I was sort of always trying to figure out why, why did a deal make sense? Uh, when I was uh, at BCG as a consultant, I, I did a whole bunch of things that were more on the financial and M&A side. So there, there's some continuity, but I think it's some plans coupled with sort of this idea of iterate and try new things so you can actually have a point of view as to whether something is interesting or fun or you like doing. Um, so it's, it's that's why I'm saying it's a mix of both. I think the the one thing I've learned throughout this is to 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 have fun in sort of your job and sort of in many ways do well in your job you, you should you should build on your strength uh, and, and of course keep on learning and, and improving but the this idea of uh, I don't have a grand plan that you know I want to work in this industry or that industry or save the world this way but much more I think there's a clear feedback loop in being good at what you do. If you're good at what you do, you've got more, you you're, you have a positive momentum, you're becoming more ambitious, you challenge yourself more, you iterate more. And so uh, something, you know, a lot of folks will come through decision points as to, oh, what do you want to do in life? And it's, a, it's pretty, and you, you can't really respond to that question in my opinion. And having faced it's too it a few vague. Times, <laughs> yeah. It's too vague and it doesn't really mean anything. Versus, you know, what are you enjoying doing, which is oftentimes related to what you're good at. And so that creates those positive feedback loops and momentum in your career that you can then take to really shape what you do. Okay. I think that that is a much nicer way of looking at it than trying to find our place in the universe right off the bat. So (laughs) thank you for that. We're going to take actually a short break before we continue in delve deeper into your experience and your thoughts in a sense. Okay, welcome back everyone to Changing Reality. We have with us a very special interview where we are uncovering the core lessons behind what it actually takes to be successful in a sense. We have with us Ben Ortlip, who is the Vice President and Head of Corporate Development at LinkedIn, as well as the co-founder of 212 Angels and as well as Off The Grid Ventures. So welcome back, Ben. Thank you so much for being on the show once again and for your lovely session before the break. Of course. Cool. So I think uh, I'd start off by taking one of the questions that was actually from the audience. Uh, One of them actually wanted to know a little bit more about um, you as a leader in this corporate world, in a sense. So how exactly in, I think, how exactly have you... Um, as a leader in LinkedIn or in the other organizations that you run, uh, constantly or consciously, in a sense, shape the culture um, of the people around you to ensure that they perform well as well. 
Yeah, so I think it's a balance of two things, uh, sort of expectations and um, sort of backing people. And so in many ways, I give my team a lot of um, sort of, I, I constantly tell my team they need to get rid of me in many ways, so they need to crowd me out. And so, okay. uh, but that doesn't mean, hey, you're, you're, you now have the floor and I'm not there to back you up. So I think it, it comes with a, a strong um, realization for my team, but sort of a strong um, point of view for, of mine, which is I need to be there for them. And if there are bullets being shot, uh, I'm the ones taking them. But the we need to set them up for success. And so we do a lot of things sort of in the background, preparing for calls or presentations where my team sort of brainstorms with me what they're going to do and I can give them my pointers or my advice for how I would do something. But when it's a bigger setting, they're the ones, quote unquote, running the show. So of course it, it depends, you know, depending on their level, what running the show means, etc. But it's uh, it's um, the idea is to keep challenging them upwards if that if you, if you want, or keep challenging their 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 skills so that once they are once they are done with something, I don't want them to be comfortable. So they're, here's the next challenge in some ways, and so that that leads to a lot of coaching conversation. That leads to a lot of you know hiccups. And uh, we deal with it. That's fine. We learn. Okay, that's very helpful advice for I think at least me who's trying to become a better leader. I'd say, and I think for everyone on there who's managing a team, who's trying to figure um, how they can actually um, empower their team to take the lead. So thank you very much for that. And you also don't just work with your own team at LinkedIn. I think you lend your expertise to many up and coming startups through your um, angel investing ventures. So how exactly? Does that work in a way? How? What advice would you give to these new um, startup founders that you normally invest in, and how do you get them to kind of like be the best that they can be? Um, it's a little similar there. Uh, I my I uh, I try to be there for them as much as possible, and so it's more of a sounding board. It's, and sometimes I become an official sort of advisor to the team, but it's much more. You know, working with them, what are their issues, asking them questions. I can give my opinion, but in many ways, startup life can be super stressful. And just having somebody where you can go and, you know, downpour what you're thinking to even sort of figure out what you're thinking. So you have somebody to talk to and sort of ask you questions. Um, that's oftentimes very helpful. Um, of course, when it's more M&A or it's more fundraising, specific sort of guidance or, or pointers. But more generally, just being there for them so that they can have a sounding board to 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 even think through issues that they're facing is, is a good place to start. The other place where I can help them a lot is I'm lucky enough through the things I've done to know a, a whole bunch of people that are good at pretty much every function. And so I kind of, I'm not going to be a good person to advise you on anything sales related or marketing related, but I know people that I can uh, make intros to. Okay. I think it's, about, as you said, it's about being there for them in a sense. And I like that part about having kind of like the, an idea of who they could turn to if there's something out of your expertise. Very helpful. And how did you even get into angel investing? I think like it's a little diff different from like VC investing and so on. So where did you even start in this whole huge arena of the investment world? Randomness. 
What? <laughs> so no, again, with the dartboard and just picking something out, like no. Yeah, maybe the dartboard. No, just a, a friend of mine. The, the way it started is a friend of mine um, started a company, and I I gave money to help him. I had no idea what I was doing, and then it became a, a series A. I started receiving all these legal papers, and I had still no idea. So I asked somebody else who actually was a VC, and from there, a, a few of us started doing some angel investments together and learned with 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 them, uh, sort of the the. the the various elements of what you think about when you look at a term sheet, but also through my career, also thinking through what businesses make sense, how you know what founders uh, look like, etc. So, cool, cool. And I just wanted like to know a bit more about like the the ventures that you've kind of like founded in this field because you you have these kind of um you have off the grid ventures, you have um. Two twelve angels, and they're both a little bit unique than the traditional, um, I would say, VC firms, even angel investing firms, and things like that. I think off the grid um, basically looks for uh, entrepreneurs who are often um, in um, overlooked communities, so women, foreign founders, and you basically empower those communities through this particular venture. Why would you do that? Why invest in something specifically for those who are overlooked? I'd say. So you, you can you can argue in two ways, but uh, one, uh, the reality is most of us were uh, foreign uh, when we started this, and so more naturally we started having conversation with foreign founders and help. You know, we've been established in the Bay Area or other places for a while. Uh, one of my actually three of my co-founders were from Wharton, so we could help with that angle. Uh, and found ourselves also investing more in women than the average VC, probably because this idea of uh, having a little bit of a, a different way of listening to an, an entrepreneur, if, you, if you're looking for those underserved communities, the uh, reality is then when you look at the numbers, there's pretty strong argument that foreign founders and women founders are actually very good investments as well. Okay, then, a foreign founder and a woman. Thank you very much for the stats. You're welcome. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that that's that how that started. And then two twelve is uh, much more sort of um, first off algorithmically driven. So we analyze founders based on education, um, professional history and uh, personality but it doesn't actually mean that it's one dimension like you didn't have to go to Wharton and take these boxes to to be an invest an investable founder there's many many different profiles that actually work out and so i'm pretty proud that uh, with this approach we actually invested in 30 percent women founders 20 percent underrepresented minorities 30 percent foreign founders so we're we're also a very diverse sort of investor from that standpoint, even though it's not the sort of stated design of the firm. Yeah, wow, okay, that's very cool. I remember um, I've I've had the opportunity to chat with I think two investors um, in the U.S. previously, and one of them um, was a woman who said that many times um, underrepresented communities, even um, just if you're um, female, it's harder to get funding and it was harder for her to raise the capital when she was an entrepreneur. And then I met someone else 
was a guy in this investment world and he said well we don't really look at the difference um between communities but then you see that they tend to lean to one community instead of the other in their portfolio so it's nice that you are in a way actually are changing that in a sense yeah just more contribution changing it like that Yep. and uh, one someone actually asked this is actually a question from our audience so they actually asked when as an angel investor um what do you actually look for in a startup or in a founder if someone would just send you a cold outreach email what would catch your attention in a sense or do you just not read your emails and say nah too bad uh no i'm actually very aware of this because um i don't want to be a network elitist but because you're not in my network that you're not worthy And so I I do look at holding bounds but the benefit or the ability I have to actually do this is because I the first thing I do is I'll put that company in my algo and then decide whether or not I want to take it further so that's my first screen then I look at a number of things um I only invest in enterprise cuz that's kind of the world I've been in uh so I definitely not know the rest and so I need to so I invest very early stage so I need to understand sort of what um pain points the company is going after and, and try to understand it and understand that there's a market that's big enough in my sense to build a company the reality is when you're going to start investing in a company so early the company's probably going to pivot a couple of times and so you don't necessarily know exactly what they're going to do or what their product is going to be but you need to take comfort that the market they are attacking more generally is big enough that it's worth the investment. And then there's something that I look for but also help a lot with is uh co-investors uh in terms of quality so the, the one of the elements of my thinking there is at series A the top sort of 30 40 companies make 20% of the series A in the US but they invest in 70% of the unicorns. And so you want to know that you have investors on board that can make the introduction to the emergence the sequoia of of the world. And so that's something that I look for but I also actively help with. And so you know the example yesterday I I met with a founder he doesn't have a, a lead investor yet but I've already made uh five or six introduction to some of those top seed funds that actually help you get to to that next stage. And so while we're working on that with them i'm still not an investor in the company and then if they end up having a good uh, sort of lead then i will have helped the founders so they'll they'll definitely want me on the on the cap table okay wow and i think that after all these algorithms after all of this looking at the markets and things like that how important is the founder themselves the person to you or are you just someone who looks completely at the books and even if they have a terrible personality it's just too bad for whoever works with them right Oh no, I do a background check um to screen out assholes. So my <laughs> algo helps me uh selecting people first, but I I do have uh pretty much everybody as as much as I can, but generally I generally good enough on LinkedIn. Uh I can find one or two people that I know in common and ask uh questions about founders just and the only thing I'm lo- really looking for I actually don't care what people what other folks say about their business or whatever the only thing i'm looking for is a red flag okay so as long as they haven't committed murder or something atrocious they're good to go in a sense but in all the people that mm, invest- murder, like, there are people that have bad reputations and that uh, i've walked away from deals because of that 
Oh, so so what would be I what would be a red flag in a sense? What would someone like you hear from a mutual friend like this person is XXX and then you realize okay, I don't think it's a good investment anymore. Their employees properly in the previous startup uh, are known to be extremely difficult to work with, those type of things. Uh, the difficult to work with is hard because you've got like Jeff Bezos who's like known to be an ass but super successful. Uh, so I turned to like one of my mentors uh, who's uh, in the VC world and his rule is they've got to be 50x more brilliant than they are assholes. Um, <laughs> and I, w- when I bumped into the asshole problem, I've never found somebody to be 50x more brilliant than they were an ass. So. Generally, okay, that's a pretty good calculation. So if you're 50 times um, smarter than you are a horrible person, then it's willing the investment. But if not, then try to be good people, guys, <laughs> in a sense, and don't be too difficult to work with. But um, all right, <laughs> that is a very nice um, way to put it. We're gonna go for another short break, and then we're, I'm just gonna come back and ask a few more questions from the audience, and then I think we are slowly dwindling down our session for today. So um, once again, we'll go for a short break and be back soon. Thank you so much for the first session uh, or and the second part that we've had. I think I've learned a lot personally. And to all of our audience, if you guys have any questions, remember the show chat is open if you guys want to ask anything. And um, yeah, if not, we'll take a couple of your questions from the RSVP form that you guys filled in earlier. Okay, welcome back everyone to Changing Reality once again. We have with us a very special guest, the VP of Corporate Development at LinkedIn, who is also the founder of 212 Angels and Off the Grid Ventures, Ben Ortlip, and he's had and we've had an amazing session with him so far um, in the first two parts of today's show. So, um, welcome back Ben. Thank you for joining us once again for mm-hmm. the final round of our questions. And um, I guess that there are some questions in the chat as well as um, that have been asked by the audience today, and I thought we could just go through a few of them. And one particular question I found quite nice is um, by actually a dancer. So um, this is actually from Sharvin. He's a dancer and um, he's a choreographer. And his question is, as a dancer, or in my point of view, um, a, a professional who is uh, maybe in the arts in something that's not so business related. Um, how can they utilize LinkedIn um, for their careers? Or is this even something that LinkedIn is looking at or is this just not the platform for them, you'd say? It should be. There should be ways to find other other dancers and choreographers sort of around the world and um, ask for advice, ask for help, uh, connect with folks. So connect with folks, Jarvin. Make sure you reach out to other people who are also dancers or also choreographers. We also have a question from um, Hira. Um, has life changed for you now that you're a VP, that you've got a lot of success in a sense, or is everything somewhat the same? Yeah, I, I, I responded, but uh, yeah, it hasn't really sort of changed my life personally, but it's just, uh, uh, it, it did two things. One is, uh, I think it was uh, good for my team, because uh, in many ways that just provides the team with more Uh, visibility within the company so for a while <clears throat> I wasn't we didn't have an official VP and so there was a, a little bit of a question of like how, how big how big or how important is our team and so that helped a lot responding this but I think it's much more the outcome of the, the work we've done as a team to sort of engage and help our business partners as much as we could and so that 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 was in many ways when I was uh, promoted to VP that that was my thought and common to my team that it was much more about 
how we showed up as a team to just uh, my personal actions. And uh, the, the other point is, I, I don't particularly care, and so I didn't really care before if somebody was a VP or not in terms of uh, how I should talk to them or not. Uh, but uh, there are a lot of people who care in bigger organizations, and so that just uh, gives me more ability to sort of ask people to do things that they don't necessarily want to or that they're resistant to or want to mostly things like change how we do something. The, the, the answer of that's how we used to do it, that's how we're used to doing it, I can challenge a lot more now and um, I'm actually enjoying it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's motivation enough for us to stay humble like you, but still strive for um, a position where we can actually make changes um, as well. And I think that there's another question um, from the audience um, from earlier, which is basically, um, what are some of the challenges that you face? So number one, in your, um, I would say, in your corporate life in a sense, but also in general as a person, and how do you overcome them? Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Not enough time is the, is the number one challenge. Um, there's too many things I want to do <laughs> across all areas of life. Um, and so it, it becomes a question of prioritization and being very crisp on priorities. And um, even then you've got to make trade-offs. So I don't know if it's a struggle in, in that sense, but it is a challenge to you know, maybe going, first, going to what we were talking about in the first section, I think for this idea of being clear on what your priorities are in general. So at multiple different time horizons, like today, this week, this month, this quarter, because otherwise there's going to be so much urgencies that are going to come one way or the other that you're going to be extremely busy, but not necessarily accomplish what you want to do. And so being very deliberate in doing this, like my trick is to frankly get up a little bit uh, earlier than anyone else and start my day by sending emails and sort of doing the things I need to do first uh, because otherwise you just become sort of dependent on input from every, the rest of the world that wants you to do stuff, but they're not necessarily what you want to do. Okay. Um, all right. That's a big slap to many of us who I think um, are in that position where we don't have much time. And since the time traveling machine has yet to been invented, thanks for the tips, I'd say. I and think then one, uh, guitar improvisation is really my, my core struggle right now, but it's a, it's a different topic. <laughs> okay, that is that is really hard. So I think that I will definitely put in a few more hours in playing my bass to just touch up on that. So the, as like back on this question of like prioritizing and things like that, what the, are your thoughts on a work-life balance? Does that exist or do you just have to squeeze in time to do a couple of things that you like or is there no hope do we all just go home at 12 p.m 12 a.m at night from work what do you think on that uh, no you don't have to go at 12 a.m <laughs> from work uh hey, look i don't know if it is um balance in the same of like it's a tension uh <laughs> you have to a, I think it, it's much more useful and it's easy for me to say at this point and it's, it's not always been true in my life but it's like, it goes back to this point if you're doing things that you're enjoying that you're successful at where you've got positive feedback first off, it's much more fun throughout the day so like, if you're, if you're feeling like you're, what you're doing is a slug you're probably not doing what you should be doing uh, 
because then life sucks. I mean, if you spend eight, 10, 12 hours a day doing something you hate, that's not sustainable. And it's just like life is too precious to, to, to waste it, even if it's for a few extra dollars. I and mean, as long as you make enough, that's, that's kind of fine. Uh, so the, the, so that's, that's one, but like, look, the stuff I do with 212 on the side takes me a couple hours a day. You can call it work. You can call it fun. It's time, not necessarily with my family, but they know I uh, really enjoy doing this. Uh, it becomes a topic of conversation with my daughter. Uh, learn about, she's my first investor, by the way. Uh, and so it's, um, I think it's much more about, yeah, this idea of enjoying and sort of uh, setting priorities, right? So to, to, to the point I was making earlier, I mean, I have daily priorities around my work, my side job and my family. And those are my sort of three priorities in whatever order you want to have them. Uh, it means I, tr I do trade-offs with other stuff. Like there's a bunch of things I need to say no to because they're not aligned with those three. But again, once you're, once you're kind of clear on those things you want to get done during the day or um, what are your priorities, and the rest doesn't matter as much. And so you, you save a lot of time. I, uh, one example is very clearly... Uh, I, I don't watch news. Uh, I don't spend time re reading news. I don't have time for it. Like I, I do for work and I, I'll scan titles to know what's going on in the world. But there was a time where I was reading a lot more news and at the end of the day, I was like, well, I, I, you know, I don't really take anything from it. Or I played poker for a while and at some point it became boring. And so like you move on, like do things that are interesting and that have good feedback loops because otherwise you you waste your time and then you're tra and then you have a real trade-off to make between work and life and all these things because you, you have all your calendar is filled with a bunch of junk that uh is good for neither hmm. so kind of like clear out the junk that's not aligned to your priorities but that's a pretty yeah. good one i think many times if you're very clear with your priorities in the morning oftentimes by noon or 2 p.m 2 p.m you've already had a great day right and so it, because you've started those things that you really wanted to get done, you've called your loved ones, you've made a donation, whatever means something to you, but it's like, and they're not necessarily all fun. Some of them can be fun, but it's like, if you've started the day by doing a few of those little things that you really need to do, if you want to exercise 15 minutes, whatever it is, but it's like basically, you know, the time before you get to real world, basically the time before 9am is where you get a lot of the things in motion so that they will be done during the day and they will actually be aligned with what what it is that you want to get achieved so i start my day i meditate i exercise i send a quick note to six people i love i make a donation i review my values and so it takes an hour or so like it's not that much time but it's like by the time i'm done with this i start doing some work before uh, the rest of the world really gets on email or whatever, or even then I don't read emails I got overnight. I just work on the one or two priorities for my day. And so by 9am, like I've already done a lot of things that are, um, important and interesting through that day. And it's, and it's like, everybody's going to have their own answer. I'm not saying I have any particular good answer. Uh, but I think it all flows from this idea of knowing what you really want to do and challenge yourself on. I think we have one last question from the audience that I think wraps it up um, really nicely to before we end for today. 
what inspires you to do the things that you do the way that you do them so what inspires you to have these values what inspires you to have a all-rounder life what keeps you going in a sense i think being positive or optimistic i've always been optimistic but also cynical and i've sort of dropped <laughs> the cynical piece because in many ways it's it's too easy to be cynical because it doesn't require you to do anything you just criticize and be like ah oh, that's never going to work but actually it's much more fun to to aspire to something and so um and everybody's going to have their own definition like whether it's spiritual or otherwise but it's many in many ways like aspire to things that matter to you and go after them right when uh, when people say how you're doing my answer is i'm living a dream mm-hmm. instead of like okay and so usually people sort of get a chuckle out of it but it but it's kind of true like you can try to be pers- purposefully living the dream and living the dream doesn't mean necessarily have a big uh, fancy car or house or w- whatever it is like it can be material but it doesn't i don't think it's enough and and so it, it, the things i've i've learned and iterated on was really sort of where the things that are meaningful and it goes back to those five values uh in sort of thinking a little bit about what's unique about being human and sort of having a happy life about being human i've read a bunch of things about the happiness and how people can influence happiness in life and sort of what matters over the arc of your life and in many ways it is to me my my very personal answer is these things around sort of manifesting love in in many ways that's um, that's something that's sort of unique to humans i think and and even if it's not i mean it's like you know loving friends and family like why wouldn't that be a priority for most people helping folks is something that if you're reading around it helping people out is actually the best way to both contribute but being happy yourself even if you are or aren't in sort of good personal situations and so that's um yeah that's uh, that's how I sort of design these over time it's it's all a bit of learning and sort of this idea of uh challenging yourself or once you feel you've sort of accomplished something uh i i like these things we've talked a little bit about it in our preps like this idea of uh, what's a power move right what's the next challenge what's the next big thing that's a little scary that you could do to keep making improvements or to keep going after something um uh to keep th- to, to keep sort of things interesting in many ways don't don't fall into uh i'm watching netflix every night and then i'm stuck at work and i don't love it like you, you have control over all of it okay wow I think that's amazing insight that's a brilliant way to end our interview today. Thank you so much for being on the show. You've been a pleasure to host I'd say and I think our audience is totally amazed and mind blown. So thank you so much for have for being here today. You're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Okay. And with that I think um today's episode of Changing Reality is being drawn to a close. Um if you guys have any other questions feel free to drop in the show chat I'll take them up later and hopefully drop an email to you if there's anything that is so that they are so burningly in need to know so hopefully you'd answer that as well hope to see you guys again next week on again 10 p.m. on Thursdays um EST here on Changing Reality only on WQHS radio so yeah see you guys around bye ciao You're listening to Changing Reality.
changing reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Now recording. Only on WQHS Radio.